Gillette's Best Blades can save you up to 50% versus the other Shave Club's $9 per month plan. That's right, close, comfortable, smooth, and up to 50% off versus the other Shave Club. Join today at GilletteShaveClub.ca. Big line out there. Barry had him where they wanted him. And now the Knights have got it down the ice. Dvorak has it. Marner's open. Tokrak scores! Another beauty for Mitch Marner. Welcome to Junior Sportsnet CHL Podcast with your host, Jeff Merrick. Here we go once again, your CHL Podcast. This is Junior. I'm Jeff Merrick. Pleased to be joined this week by a number of guests. As we always do, we'll kick it off with Sam Cosentino. Uh, some news and notes around the CHL. A lot of firings in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, we should also talk about a key injury on the Kelowna Rockets. And don't look now, but there's a new team on top of the WHL. It is the team on the island, the Victoria Royals. We'll get into all of that with Sam Cosentino. Also, Mitch Marner of the London Knights. He'll drop by, talk to us about the London Knights season and a little bit of his background as well. And if he still eats a bag of Skittles before each and every London Knights game. I know I ask all the hard questions here. And the February draft rankings are out at sportsnet.ca. The curator of our draft rankings, Damian Cox, will be aboard to conclude the podcast. In the meantime, we'll start it as we do each and every week with our man, Sam. Sam, it seemed as if uh, the moment we went off the air last week on the podcast, the Flint Firebird situation exploded. And uh, just quick recap, Rolf Nelson, Sergey Karen suspended. A lot of the management crew uh, no longer uh, available for service, not part of the mix on a day-to-day uh, point of view. John Gruden, Dave Carper, they've been dismissed. Joe Stefan and Pat Peek are behind the bench. And Joe Birch comes in to run the hockey operations department. Sam, I, I think you and I had the same reaction to this one when it first happened, which was, oh boy, here we go again. Uh, sometime later now, now that we've had some distance to pause and reflect and have a look at this thing, what are your thoughts about Flint Firebirds and their situation? Well, they timed it, right? They waited for us to, to record the <laughs> podcast. So they, I think they had some uh, inside intel. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an immediate situation, I think, things have kind of calm and cooled out, but uh, I don't know if it's going away anytime soon. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think Rolf Nielsen also owns the building. Yep. Uh, so that uh, it, it might create some issues down the road. And then what do you do with the guy that you've already told once not to meddle into the team affairs and he agreed in writing to do so and goes ahead and, and does it again. So it's obviously that he can't uh, is a guy that can't be trusted. So that's the first thing. And now your big issue if you're the Ontario Hockey League moving forward is what do you do? Flint's going to have, you know, four picks probably in the first 25 or 30. Uh, and, and what do you do at that point? Uh, anyone, is any parent going to want to send their kid there? And I think that's the biggest question moving forward. What happens with the franchise? Does it relocate once again? Does the ownership kind of absolve itself? Uh, does the league have power to revoke the ownership of the franchise and do with, with it what it wants? Uh, so, in terms of how it's being run right now, it's no different than the situation when Eugene Melnick owned two franchises in the league in Toronto and Mississauga for about a year while they figured out a sale to, the, to Niagara. 
Um, at that point, the league was running, running one team. Eugene Melnick was running the other. Uh, I, I believe they put in place a situation where they couldn't trade amongst each other. Now, same sort of situation that's going on with uh, the Blanford Boisbriand and the Quebec Ramparts and Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, yep. um, you know, just to avoid an ethics issue. So that's the big question moving forward. It's, it's what is going to happen with this Flint franchise? Does it end up staying there and does it stay under the same ownership? Yeah, I have the same questions as well. I don't know, and you know, we're both parents, and I can't imagine uh, if my son were of that age and drafted by the Flint Firebirds, if I'd in any way, shape, or form want to send him, A, to Flint when you consider the water situation, and B, the Firebirds when you consider the hockey situation. And, you know, if the draft happened today, Sam, that's two picks in the top five. So we're not talking about, you know, marginal OHL players. We're talking about high-end guys as well. And you look at last year with Ryan McLeod, uh, albeit for different reasons, he refused to report, ended up getting traded to Mississauga. He plays with his brother now. But I can't imagine anyone going to Flint for not just the hockey reason, but also for the water situation in uh, in, in, that, in that city. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be a real challenge. And you know, unless you were kind of a middling guy who, who saw uh, an abundance of playing time in the future, but you wouldn't yeah. be playing on a particularly good team. So, no, it, that's going to be the real challenge moving forward. And I guess you can kind of start uh, at least considering some relocation options, be it, uh, you know, um, back to Belleville, where it would be kind of turnkey. Maybe it forces the people of Belleville, uh, you know, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder type of thing where they may now as a city agree to, to build a new arena. Um, I, I guess Buffalo becomes an option. Is there another city, be it the Lansing, Kalamazoo, uh, somewhere else in, uh, in, in the Michigan area that, that, uh, they, that gets a team because I don't know if they want to lose a, you know, a foothold there. Those, those teams, uh, between Plymouth and Saginaw did a really good job in, in recruiting players, uh, out of that uh, under-18 program, or at least from the yeah. United States and the Michigan area. So uh, I don't know, Jeff. I, I honestly, I can't tell you what's going to happen. I, all I know is that things better start to be put in place pretty soon, because if the franchise does move, um, you know, you're talking about the draft, you're talking about season ticket holders, you're talking about business ops, sales, all that stuff and is done months and months ahead of when the season starts. And we're kind of getting in that area right now. You know what I can't help but thinking about through all this, Sam? Peter Carmanos. Because a lot of this was sort of done, you know, let's let Peter try to recoup as much of uh, his money back as possible. Uh, he lost a lot of money owning the Plymouth Whalers, did a great job sending players to the NHL, developing coaches. That's a long legacy as well with Plymouth. Was a really good foot soldier for the Ontario Hockey League and junior hockey in general. He went sort of out the door and around the block. Good recruiting team, as you mentioned as well, the Plymouth Whalers, and making sure that kids in Michigan can see some elite-level hockey at the OHL level. And I can't help but thinking that probably somewhere in the back of Peter Carmanos's mind, he's thinking, part of this is on me. That, you know, I, I was the one that brought Rolf Nilsson in here. I do wonder if maybe, and it might only be short term as well, we might see a return of Peter Carmanos to the, to the Ontario Hockey League. Ooh, I don't know about that. That, one, that one's a huge challenge for me. Um, you know what, Jeff? I, I, I couldn't answer that for you. I mean, when it comes to Peter Carmanos, I think he, he did his, you know, he found a, an owner that had deep pockets. Um, yep. And at least, I mean, I, you can tell me. I don't think – I'm not sure that he was in on the process. And if you're telling me he is, and obviously he was, um, of bringing uh, Rolf Nelson to the table. But like you said, he, he did what he had to do for a long time. I'm not – you know, I don't feel bad for Peter Carmanos at all because when I look at the Carolina Hurricanes and all the guys that have come through there that played in Plymouth, 
you know, there's a real good connection there. And so when you talk about, you know, losing money uh, on the NHL side, it's a lot different than losing money on the, on the OHL side. So it's probably mm-hmm. peanuts at that point. But when you look at the rewards uh, that he was able to reap from that relationship with the Plymouth Whalers from Mike Vellucci to, you know, all the players that have been drafted and, and, and either will or have already played for Carolina, then I don't feel so bad for him in that regard. And hey, He's a big boy. If he wanted to get out, he could have got out sooner. So I don't, I don't feel any remorse on that side for Peter Carmanos. Does it spell a return for him? I don't know what the relationship is like between he and David Branch. I would assume it's probably still pretty strong, but I don't know if Peter wants to go down that road again. You know, you keep hearing stuff about Carolina and maybe him wanting to get rid of that uh, franchise. So I don't know if that's, that's going to be something that will be looked upon in the future, but I'm as anxious as everyone else to see what's going to happen. All right, to some of the games and the, the pair that we had over the weekend on sports. And we begin with the uh, the Friday game where London and Barry, you know, we build it as a big sort of explosive high-scoring affair. But one of the things I was really impressed by is how London shut down that top line uh, of the Barry Colts. Your thoughts, wide brush. I want to get to Cliff, jo- uh, Cliff Poo and Max Jones here in a second here, Sam. But your thoughts on what London was able to do with Barry on the weekend? Chris Martinet and Victor Mete were just brilliant against that top line. I mean, Martinet was, played them really tough cross-checks, hits in the back of the leg, closed down the front of the net. Um, and Mete, once Martinet did that job and the puck came free, Mete was either skating it out of the zone or making a good first pass to, to get rid of it. But the one thing that sticks out for me more than anything in that game is is the fact that London played about as good a team game as I can remember that, seeing them play. Uh, you know, so many times you go in there and it's the, the top dogs and they do all the damage and you don't worry about the rest of it. You don't worry about goaltending or or what's happening on the defensive side. And that was one of the knocks for this club, is that maybe they're too young defensively. I, I thought their defensive game was, was equally as strong, if not better, than what they were able to provide offensively. And I think when you you know you add Cliff Pooh and Max Jones to the mix of, of what those other guys have been doing on that top line, it becomes a real dangerous situation. But the thing that overall impressed me about that game the most is how much London played a team game and their ability to, to shut things down defensively. Mm-hmm. And you know one of the one of the great things that we saw, and you know last year, I mean, whenever Josh Hosang was on Sports and it was a magical performance. And this year, it seems as if every time we have London on, Cliff Pooh is doing something, whether it's a big goal or a, a handshake, an interesting celebration, uh, eating protein balls, and his, his close up in the in the intermission really has kind of become a character on Sportsnet right now. And paired with Max Jones, and you and RJ were making this point when the big boys went to the Royal Juniors, that second line got the bump up. And how much did that help Max Jones, his draft stock? and Cliff Poo as well. Yeah, I think Max Jones is, is to me, is, a, is more of a known commodity where Cliff Poo, you know, gets comes over in that trade from Oshawa as a former first-round pick there. And, you know, typically when you're as a 16-year-old in the league and you're playing for London, you're way down on the lineup, you don't get much special teams, and your five-on-five play is sporadic. And then you go into year two and you say, oh, where did this guy come from? And it's just about that development curve and being in a good hockey environment. And uh, for Cliff Poo, I think it's more important than anything because I think Jones is a first-rounder all day. I'm not sure where he fits, maybe mm-hmm. in that you know 12 to 20 range. But when it comes to Cliff Poo, you know, you're probably looking at the guy who started the year as maybe a fourth or fifth rounder, third or fourth rounder potentially and yeah. and who knows with the with the way things are going maybe he gets bumped up into the you know into second round consideration 
Uh, London and Barry was an interesting matchup. Uh, Sunday, we saw the machine that is the Kingston Frontenacs shutting out the Niagara Ice Dogs. And uh, once again, the Ice Dogs plus inconsistency equals what this season has been. First, uh, a couple of thoughts on the Kingston Frontenacs. They seem so balanced at just about every single position. Maybe one of the questions heading in is which goaltender do you start? You know, the veteran or the or, or the upstart who was outstanding with his first shutout on Sunday. But what did you make of Kingston and Niagara on Sunday, Sam? Oh, well, I was really interested to watch their second line, you know, with, with Lamico and Krause on it, because I think those guys really need to, to play well um, and, and Jared stay. And, and so what can happen with for Paul McFarlane, especially on home ice, he can send that line out against the opposition's best line and hope that they will shut them down, and they probably will. And if they add any offense, it's gravy, and they probably will. But what that also does is now give your top line with the Watson, Del Cole, and Fogel, favorable matchups against the second or third line of the opposition, especially on home ice. And those guys should be able to pick apart just about any second or third line in the league, save for maybe one or two of them in the Western Conference. So that's where there's huge benefit. I also think that Roland McCune's game has come along to the point where he's anchoring a defensive core that really is paying attention to that end of the ice. Penalty kill was sensational. Power play was pretty good. There's a lot of good things going on for for Kingston right now, and the fact that they have two goalies going at the same time, either A pushes Persini or or B uh, you know makes Jeremy Halvig a, a viable option to start uh, if, if that should uh, be the case for them come the playoffs. Yeah, he was outstanding. Uh, and the Ice Dogs once again. You know, I was talking to some people before the game in the organization, and then a couple afterwards as well. It's just that team that leaves you scratching your head. I mean, you look at was it five of the six defensemen are all drafted, signed by the by NHL teams. Uh, the forward unit, whether it's you know Josh Hosang, whether it's Brendan Pelini, a lot of signed guys. Uh, up front as well. It is just a team that is so completely different from what we see on paper to what shows up on the ice, Sam. Yeah, and I, and I still can't figure it out. And the more I watch them play, the more I think that this is their team. And that worries me a little bit because the potential, no question, is there. But I think it really depends on their top two guys. If Hosang and Perlini are going, then the rest of the club should follow suit. And those guys have been fairly inconsistent this year. I mean, you know, Hosang's picking up his points and Perlini's doing okay. Not what I expect out of two guys that are two, year, two years removed from their draft year. There's no question with the talent that those guys possess. Even if you give Hosang a little leeway on the offensive, you know, on the defensive side of the puck, between the two of those guys, it should be at least three points per game, period, end of story. I would expect more in a four-point-per-game average between those two players, but I would, at this point, take three points per game. Now, Perlini's starting to show some signs. He scored in three straight before Sunday's game, and he got shut out. And then he came back with a four-point effort a night later in Ottawa. So maybe he's getting things turned around. Uh, but he's too good a player to, to not be at that you know one-and-a-half, two-point-per-game range. And then the rest of the group, you know, there seems to be a little dysfunction there. I, I worry about them, especially if they go down early in the playoffs with all those drafted players. That would yep. be my main concern if I were Marty Williamson. I'd want to go into the playoffs, you know, kind of as a steamroller and, and hope that things are, are easy for at least round one to give my guys confidence that they can play deep into the spring. I don't want any doubt in their mind either at the end of the year or going into the playoffs that this thing might come to an end in an, uh, in an abrupt uh, way because I, I worry about the, that group maybe packing it in if, if things don't become easy for them. And they should be easy for them. It's too good a hockey team for them not to be. Pack it in and say, I'll grab a couple of paychecks in the American Hockey League when my parents' squad sends me to the AHL for the playoffs? Yeah, that's, 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 
I could potentially see that happening. Like I say, if they kind of end the season on a whimper or begin the playoffs with some with some doubt. All right, uh, around the uh, the CHL, let's start with the Q, and we talked about this on, on television a couple of different times, Sam, and we'll start with Shawinigan. Uh, this one kind of a head-scratcher. I know they lost you know, key games to some lower-ranked teams, Chicoutimi and Halifax and Quebec as well, but still scratching my head over Shawinigan firing Martin Bernard. Uh, in comes Claude Bouchard, apparently uh, Martin Mondu, not exactly thrilled, A, at how the team is losing, and B, who the team is losing to. This one shocked me. How about you? It sure did. I mean, first place, won six games out of ten at the time, had points in seven out of those ten games. So it was a shocker for me. And, you know, it wasn't like Martin Mondu uh, would be foreign to the style of game that Martin Bernard wants to play. Up-tempo, run-and-gun, that, that, you know, it's a high-chance type of situation. So last year they had Marvin Cooper, probably saved their, their rear ends on a few occasions. They went out and they got uh, Philip Cataret this year. So he's a guy who can save some bacon too. Uh, and, and I look at their situation and say, yeah, you, you have the right goaltender. You have the team that's high-powered up front. A couple of guys like Gerard in the back can really move the puck to. So if that's your style of game and you think you're going to go in and win games by scoring five, six, seven a night, then as Martin Mondu, you should have known that. Um, but, you know, maybe he saw some things in watching the team every day that was more than just the, you know, the high-risk stuff that we've talked about. And he felt that that's something he wanted to fix. And the only way he could fix it was with the coaching change. But I worry so late in the year about that, what it does for the psyche of your team. That's, mm-hmm. that's my main concern. I mean, I don't know. Are they going to turn into a defensive juggernaut? The team's really not built that way. So I wouldn't expect that to, to be the case. But if they do tighten up defensively, can shave a goal, a goal and a half off a game, and still maintain the offensive production, then maybe they become a more dangerous team in the playoffs. Uh, another team getting busy and firing their head coach around the queue as well. Uh, Bay Camo firing Marco Petronero uh, after losing to Shakutami as well. Uh, this one happened Sunday, I believe, when we were on the air with the Niagara game uh, against the Kingston Frontenacs. What's the motivation behind this one so late in the season, Sam? Yeah, that one's hard for me to figure out. And, and then, honestly, Marco Petronero is a guy who's been all over the place. He was an assistant coach to Valdor when they were in the Master Carbon Memorial Cup in London in 2014, and a guy who you know, has has some uh, roots back to Arizona. So, there, you know, you'd think he'd be a guy that would be able to, re, you know, uh, recruit good good talent. He speaks French, so being bilingual is also, a, you know, a big help in that market. But that market does present some very unique challenges. It is mostly a, a French-speaking uh, community. You know, they're kind of on an island. They're in a little tiny barn and, you know, uh, it's not huge when it comes to budget. You know, getting import players has been uh, a challenge, but it's worked out so well so far. I think everyone has to come to the realization that the, the benefits reaped from the Nathan McKinnon trade going back four years ago, five years ago, uh, are finally have come to an end. And it was a trade that really worked out well for both sides. I mean, Bay Como played in the league final twice in a row, went to the final four, I want to say at least once, maybe two other times. Yeah. And Halifax won a MasterCard Memorial Cup. I mean, how, how do you beat that for two teams making a trade of one of the greatest players to ever come through the league? But at some point, you know, all the stuff uh, reaped from that was going to have to come to an end, and that's this point. I thought that they were going to let Marco Pietrino kind of see this thing through. Uh, but Steve Ahern is uh, the general manager there. He's going to take over behind the bench. I have a hard time arguing him, arguing with him for anything that he's done because, you know, he engineered that, that, that trade for McKinnon. He picked up good players along the way. 
he had a real good coach uh, attracted there uh, by bringing Eric Veilleux and when he was there. I mean, he's done a lot of good things over his tenure, and he may not kind of give the appearance that he's the, you know an all-out hockey guy, but he's made some really good hockey decisions. He's also the same guy who decided that Pietrinero come in there in the first place. So maybe he is asking for a mulligan on that particular decision. And again, moving forward, um, you know, that, that market presents some unique challenges. So I think it really closes down the, the future coaching market for him. A couple of moments left with you, Sam. I want to get your thoughts on a couple of WHL issues. Uh, don't look now, but look who's on top of the Western Hockey League. The Victoria Royals, who it seems as if each and every week we continue to talk more and more about. Hey, Sam, wasn't this supposed to be a rebuilding year for Victoria? Correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah, and you know what? I think a lot of people were thinking at the trade deadline, their overage goalie Coleman Voras uh, would have been a guy that, that I'm sure tons and tons of teams were, were calling and asking about because the league is so tight. But yeah, Cameron Hope, the general manager, really held true to form and stuck with his guns. He's got a marvelous coach in Dave Lowry, and I think he's answered a lot of questions about people who question his ability to coach a team at the World Juniors because this is a Victoria team that, uh, I tell you, it works hard, it pays attention to detail, it executes the game plan to perfection. Two things have happened there. I think there's some players that have moved on from uh, Victoria that have allowed the room to become a little bit tighter and a little bit more cohesive. And I also think, Jeff, that the style of play that they're now playing, where everyone is buying into the backtracking and doing, uh, paying attention to the small details and that sort of thing, uh, I think that style of play is more conducive to the team that they have now. And when you add those two things together, you're looking at a top team who really just frustrates the heck out of the opponent, does what it has to do to win on most nights, and it's got enough star power. I mean, the, the rookie year Matthew Phillips is having, or, or the, oh. the the second year that he's had, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable what, what he's been able to do. We saw glimpses of it last year, but this is a rookie season that's, you know, for the ages here in the Western Hockey League. Bullrath has been good. Their defense is not, you know, overly anything, but they're just all-around good players. Uh, so they, they got it going on right now, and I think that's the style of game that wins games in the playoffs. But you're looking at a team that is a bit younger. Are they going to be able to do in the playoffs what they've done in the regular season? That's the question here moving forward for the Royals. So much resting on the shoulder of a Detroit prospect and uh, number one defenseman for Victoria, Joe Hicketts. Uh, final thought here. Uh, you never want to count out a Bruce Hamilton team, but when you look at how young the defense is for the Kelowna Rockets and you look at uh, Nick Merkley gone for the season, that game against Spokane and the torn ACL injury, not looking great for the perennial powerhouse Kelowna Rockets, Sam. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing to overcome. You know, Nick Merkley's a heart and soul guy. He's an effort guy and he's a skilled guy. So, uh, you know, the Jackson Whistle situation, last I looked, Michael Herringer was still playing goal. And, yeah. you know, so that's also a situation that they have to be concerned about. But, you know, come playoff time, they have culture there. And culture can carry you a long way. This is a team that's, you know, been down to the, the end of the trenches here in the last couple of years. And there's still a lot of holdovers from that, especially from last year's MasterCard Memorial Cup team that, you know, came also close to winning it. So that culture, I think, can help carry you a long way. And I think they're lucky in the sense that this happened closer to the playoffs as opposed to, you know, it having happened a long time ago and allowing it to settle in. I, I think the situation is still fresh enough, or it will be at least when the playoffs start, that they will have had enough time to deal with it, but enough time where it's still fresh not to worry about it. It's going to be a tough one. Sam, as always, uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll watch you on television this weekend. Okay, Jeff, look forward to it. Take care. We have Vermouski and Gatineau on Friday.
Pleased to be joined now by the one player in the CHL who's given us more highlights per square inch at Sportsnet than anyone else in the 60-team universe that is the Canadian Hockey League, uh, London Knights forward Mitch Marner. Mitch, thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing well. Thanks so much. Do you have, like, of all the, the highlights that you've seen of yourself, and maybe the Niagara one is outstanding, dancing Vince Dunn and tucking it past Ndelkovic, that might be the obvious answer, but of all the highlight reel goals and performances you've had so far this year, do you have one that really stands out for you that you look back and you say to yourself, wow, how did I do that? Um, I guess that one would be it. Um, you know, you just kind of go into practice and practice things that, uh, you know, hopefully you can translate into a game and um, you know, that's a move that I've been practicing for, you know, you know, quite a bit of my life. So, um, you know, I thought that was the only way I could get around the defender. And, um, you know, luckily it worked out. How much of it, I wonder too, how much of your game is improvised sort of on the spot? You have a situation, you try to figure out how to get around it, get out of it. You have this, you know, bag of tricks in your hip pocket. You're one of the most creative players we've seen in the OHL uh, for quite some time. From what we see with you on the ice, how much have you practiced versus how much of it is just making stuff up as it as it presents itself to you? Um, I would probably go fifty-fifty. You know, you, you practice a lot of things, and um, you know, you, you always try and listen to the coach as much as possible. But um, you know, oh, I think I can get over a situation. I'll try and do, and um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So you know, it's just a trial and error. And um, you know, if I think I need to pull something out, then you know, usually I'll try and. Um, you know, just try and always just make a safe play if I can. But, um, you know, sometimes there's situations that you think you got to do different things. And, um, you know, I guess it really depends on where I am and, you know, on the ice and, you know, what the play is. Where does that, where does that come from? I remember talking to one scout about you and, and he described you this way. He said, when you watch Mitch Marner, he doesn't make the right play. He makes the better play. Like when you see a situation, the scout will say, okay, here's the play Marner should make. Oh, he's doing something different. Oh, look at that. It's even better than what we think the right play should be. So creative. Where does that all come from? Um, I don't know. I think it's just practicing, you know, just trying to get better at all times every time you get on the ice. And, um, you know, usually in the summertime, you try all these tricks with people. And, um, you know, it's just, I guess, about, you know, just trying to will and you know buy into you know things you want to try and get better at. And, um, for me, it's always ways of getting out of situations. And you know, there's uh, a lot of big D-men out there that you know are trying to always hit you. So um, usually, I'm just trying to find a silky way out and um, you know making sure that uh, you can get out and you know make a play. So far, so good. Uh, when did you officially transition? Because I remember watching you uh, even before the OHL. Uh, I remember watching you as a centerman. When did you finally make that transition and all of a sudden Mitch Marner was a winger? Yeah, I played center growing up my whole life. And, um, you know, when our Don Mills team got knocked out of the playoffs, I went and played with the St. Mike's Buzzers in the OJHL. And, um, yeah. you know, they uh, they had all their centers locked up. So the only way I was playing is if I play on the wing. And, um, you know, I kind of went up to the coach and said, I'll play the winger if, uh, you know, if you need it. And, um, you know, next game I was playing winger. And I know just kind of translated into, you know, coming to the OHL. And, um, you know, London had four great center already. And um, to play with Devo and, you know, be on that line was, you know, me being a winger. So, um, you know, I was just kind of buying into doing something different in a role. And, um, you know, it kind of stuck with me. And, you know, now it's kind of changing. I can play center or, or wing. So it's uh, kind of nice having both ways. 
It's interesting, too, because it's almost as if some ways you have a center's mentality uh, when you play the wing. We see that with Patrick Kane. You see that with Nick Merkley, uh, with the Kelowna Rockets as well. You're starting to see that more at the junior level and at the uh, the NHL level as well. You mentioned uh, Christian Dvorak, your other lineman, of course, Matthew Kachuk. You know, sometimes it seems as if, you know, when your line is out there, you're playing puck on a string. It's like a cat playing with a toy uh, sometimes. At, at a certain point, you know, when you're playing and things are really grooving for your line, does it just feel like you're just flat out having fun? Like, does it not seem like you're working at all? Because it looks really effortless out there sometimes. Um, I don't know. I think uh, all three of us have a role, and we all play really well together. And, um, you know, Chucky's kind of the hard-nosed guy that gets under everyone's skin and, you know, works really hard down low and gets us the puck. And, you know, Diva, I'd say, is the goal scorer. He can uh, put a puck in, but he's also deceptive by passing. He's, uh, he tricks a lot of goalies by that. And, um, you know, mm. I think us three together just, you know, work together really well. And, um, you know, when there's a play that needs to be made, I think we all know that uh, we're capable of making it and trust each other. And um, you know, sometimes it feels uh, you know it's just fun playing with those two because you know you know you can go somewhere and you're going to get the puck, and you know they're going to go to an open area and you can give it right back. So it's uh, it's a special special time playing with those two, and hopefully uh, we can make a long run of it. Mitch Marner of the London Knights joins us here on the Junior Podcast. Uh, Cliff Pooh is someone that I know a little bit, worked out at the same gym, and every time we have the London Knights on Sportsnet, uh, you provide the highlight goal, and he provides the smile. Uh, good player in his own right, second-line center, playing with Max Jones. We saw earlier on the big handshake, which was a great celebration, uh, eating protein balls in the in the uh, the dressing room in between periods as well. What's he like as a teammate? Tell us something about Cliff Pooh. Yeah, Cliff, uh, he surprised a lot of people this year, I'd say. You know, I think a lot of people last year really doubted him. And, you know, he came in this year, you know, playing his best hockey ever, as you know, as I've seen. And, um, you know, I think he's showing a lot of people right now that, uh, you know, he's a lot better than everyone thinks. And, um, you know, he's getting credit for it now. But, yeah, he's uh, he's a great guy to have in the room. You know, he keeps everything light and, you know, fun. And, um, you know, sometimes you need those people in the room. And, you know, when it gets down to serious, I think he uh, he knows what he needs to do to win, and um, you know he needs what it, uh, he knows what it takes to win. So it's uh, it's nice having a guy like that on your team, and um, you know he's having an exceptional year for us right now. He's been great. Um, at what point uh, growing up did you say to yourself, you know what, I think I have a shot at really doing something here with hockey. I mean, all all kids when they when they first start have you know dreams of the NHL. Uh, for most of them and most of us, uh, it sort of dies off after a while. But at what point growing up, Mitch, did you think to yourself, you know what, I really do have a chance at making the NHL here? Um, I don't know. I guess you know, growing up, every kid's dream, like you said, is playing the NHL, and um, you know, I kind of started skating at an early age and. Um, you know, around four, I started kind of skiing with, you know, an instructor and um, named Rob DeVoe in Three Zones Hockey and Ajax. And, um, you know, I don't know, my, my dad just always, my parents always just put me in a situation that, you know, had people thinking that I could succeed to be the best. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you're around people that think that you can be the best, that, uh, you know, kind of makes your mindset that, you know, you can, you can do anything in life. And, you know, that's the best thing about having parents is, you know, they're always there to support you and always there to, you know, kind of vote you on and just keep you pushing. And, um, you know, I guess kind of happened, you know, right in the minor midget year when, you know, I was kind of having a good year with Don Mills and, you know, London started talking to me. I guess that's kind of when the point that, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, maybe I could make a living out of this. And, um, you know, obviously your parents are with you every step of the way and, you know, they're always trying to get you, you know, to the best level possible. And it's, uh, you know, you're lucky to have them. What's Dale? You mentioned Dale, uh, your head coach, Dale Hunter. What's Dale Hunter like as a head coach? 
Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty quiet, but um, you know, on the ice, he uh, you know, he's he's really he's really great. He helps out a lot of guys, and um, you know, he kind of teaches the defensive way when you first come in here. And um, you know, I think Cliff learned a lot from him. I think that's why Cliff's playing so well this year is because mm-hmm. you know Dale's kind of getting him you know on the right path, and um, you know, Dale knows what it takes to play in the NHL, and you know, he knows what it takes to you know be the best in the next level, and. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a guy that will always come up and talk to you and just, you know, if he, he knows usually when something's wrong with you. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice having a coach that can, uh, you know, comes from the NHL that can experience what you feel. And, um, you know, it's nice having that on the bench. Two years ago, you had your first taste of the MasterCard Memorial Cup when your, your London Knights hosted it. Uh, how much in the back of your mind all season long has been you want to get back, you want to go to Red Deer, uh, you want to come out the OHL champions and head to the Western Hockey League defending the O? Uh, I think right, right from the start, you know, our team believes in each other here. and um, You know, we all want to be there this year. And, um, you know, I think it's just going to come down to the will that our team puts in and you know, with uh, with how we're pairing up right now, I think uh, we got a great chance of it. Okay, last question for you will be the hardest hitting question you get maybe all year. Uh, do you still eat a bag of Skittles before every game? Um, sometimes I've kind of cut down a little bit on it for uh, nutrition wise. <laughs> um, sometimes I eat a bag of sour Skittles or something before the game, but um, you know, I always have one of my stall just in case I ever feel like I'm playing a bad game. Just you know. Whenever I eat them, I feel like I get more energy. um, You know, it just feels like it helps out a little bit. The magic of Skittles. Listen, uh, continue the role. It's been great. And on behalf of everyone at Sportsnet, thanks for all the the great highlights that we keep playing on a loop. Uh, Continued success, and uh, we have our fingers crossed for you. Come ready to your time at the Memorial Cup. Thank you for having me. I'm Ryan Callahan of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I played for the Guelph Storm in the Ontario Hockey League. And so from Mitch Marner, we go to our human highlight reel, the one and only Damian Cox. February draft rankings are out. How are you today, Demo? I'm fine and, and, and flattered by that description. <laughs> I was trying to think of a transition. I'm just like, ah, oh, well, you know what? I have fun with Damien on Friday nights. So let's just shoot him a compliment here. Uh, hey, quick little little thought. We just we talked to Sam earlier on, and just talked to Mitch Martin. One of the common threads between the two, and I want your thoughts on this young man as well. We'll get to the draft rankings in a sec. What are your thoughts on Cliff Poo? He really has become one of our favorites around Sportsnet this year. Oh, I mean, he's he's the he's the uh, Sportsnet human highlight reel for Friday night hockey, uh, and he and he seems to have yep. embraced that role too. Um, I, I think he's an interesting guy uh, as as um, you know as we look towards the end of the season. One of the mistakes I think we make is we we see the draft rankings December January top prospects and we almost think okay that's it. Well, that's not it. There's yeah. a long way to go. Um, and you know a team like the London Knights with for Cliff Poo, they're going to have a playoff run. Um, and that might be an opportunity for him to jump forward. So already we're seeing, you know, some players start to move up the draft rankings. Cam Deneen would be one name. Uh, Nick Camano of the Flint Firebirds, another name. Starting to go from being C prospects to B, which might move them into the second round. So certainly Pooh is a player to watch. Yeah, I wanted to go off the menu as well to start, too, so I'm glad you, you took us there. Uh, Cam Deneen, you and I talked about him on Friday, on uh, the Friday night game between Barry and London. 
Uh, remarkable what the young man is doing on the blue line in a very stingy defense first Stan Butler led North Bay Battalion squad. For those that may not know Cam Deneen, fill us in a little bit. Well, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a young American guy who, it was funny, you know, when I was talking at the beginning of the year to Stan Butler, sort of setting uh, up the scene for the year, and he coached that uh, team, uh, the Team Canada at the Ivan Holenka. And and he, and he sort of mentioned in passing, you know, watch this kid, because he had an, he, you know, he had another kid on that uh, on that Ivan uh, Halenka team who really in in Zach Poirier who really isn't seen as a top end prospect, but he said, watch Cam Denis. Well, here we are in February, and he's got 53 points in 56 games, and a lot of people now are looking at this kid from New Jersey and saying maybe we should have him a lot higher on our draft list. Um, than yeah. then we've got him so far. To me, he's almost Jeff like a little bit like Vince Dunn, putting up significant numbers on offensive players. And yeah. you know, the modern day, we're all suspicious of the offensive defenseman. You know, can they do all the other things? Well, at a certain point, the numbers speak for themselves. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, North Bay, you know, they're going to be a structured team that's not going to have a defense where you can just run wild. So for Deneen to be putting up those kind of numbers for Stan Butler, I think is significant. Yeah. And you know what, for the uh, the idea of the complete game from the defenseman, you hear this with you know a player like Eric Carlson of the Ottawa Senators, to me it comes down to one simple question. Do you create more than you cost? And if you create right. more chances than you cost, then if you have a team of those guys, you win Stanley Cups, Damian. Well, and, and look, I, I think that you know Stan Butler was confident enough to feel like he could move Miles Liberati to Kitchener earlier this year. Well, yep. he wouldn't have done that if he didn't yep. think that Cam Deneen could run his uh, his power play and give him the stuff on the back end that he needed. So, you know, maybe that was another hint along the way that maybe we all should have been watching a little bit closer. But Central Scouting has moved up Cam Deneen from a C prospect to a B prospect, mm-hmm. which means that probably by the next set of rankings, he'll be within the top 50 or 60 rather than outside the top 100. Where he goes from there, we'll see. You wonder if the same thing happens to Cliff Poo of the London Knights. Okay, so your yep. top 30 for February. Top five remain unchanged. You have Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, Jesse Puliarvi, Matthew Kachuk, and Alexander Nylander. And then bumping up one spot, uh, let's go back to the London Knights. And interesting here, leapfrogging over Jacob Tricker of the Sarnia Sting, Oli Jolivi. Your thoughts on the, the young defenseman who reminds us in so many ways, and not just because of his first name, reminds us of Oli Mata, former London Knight. Yeah, he does. And, uh, you know, I mean, for me to put him ahead of Jacob Chikrin and the Sardinian Sting was, was a real, something I really, really had to think about. And, and the, the problem is, I think it may be seen as a slight against Chikrin. These are two guys with a chance to be elite top pair defensemen in the National Hockey League somewhere down the line. And maybe Jake Bean as well. And maybe Dante Favreau. So the fact that one is rated ahead of the other doesn't necessarily mean this guy's no good anymore, this good. But Ole Olivi, the one thing he's done um, is he's played on all the big stages this season, notably the World Junior Hockey Championships and the Top Prospects game, and done very well in both. Chikrin didn't get to play in the World Juniors, didn't make Team Canada, and at the Top Prospects game, I think most would agree, did not have his best night. So I think if you're looking for somebody who likes the big stage, Right now, Yulevi seems to be that player. Um, Chikrin's got a big opportunity mm-hmm. now with the Sarnia thing that's beefed up um, to really make a statement in the second half of the season. He's still coming back from that shoulder surgery in the offseason. I think shoulders often take longer than people um, think that they should. And, I, and I, you know, he's got people watching him. He used to be the number one prospect in North America. He'd like to think he'll get to be that again. 
Um, and now he's got a couple of months in the playoffs to, to, to prove to us that he's that player. So, but for me, and I think you feel basically the same, it's a battle between these two guys um, to see who's going to be the number one defenseman drafted in June. And I wonder where Mikhail Sergachev fits into all of it. You have him right now at, uh, at nine. He's up one spot from ten. Windsor, uh, Spitfires defenseman, six foot three, close to two hundred pounds. Uh, as you mentioned in your in your synopsis, in your quick couple of sentences, that you know battled homesickness early uh, yeah. in his in, in his season with the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, you had a chance to sit down with him in Vancouver. What were your takeaways from from meeting Mikhail Sergachev? Loved him. He was so much fun to talk to. And for a kid who really didn't speak any English in September, his ability to not only carry on a conversation, but to do so with humor and insight. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a self-deprecating character. He talked about himself at the World Under-18s last year, saying, I was the worst player in the tournament, and saying things like that. <laughs> he's, a, he's a funny guy to talk to. With, you know, he's got real offensive upside. All it takes, and you and I talk about this all the time, is one team to say, He's the guy. He's not yep. trending upward quite as strongly as Ivan Provorov did last year to compare him with another Russian. And it could be, a, uh, you know, somebody might look on his own team and say, yeah, I like Sergachev, but Logan Stanley, that's the guy I really want. So I think it's going to be a real challenge for all of us when we get to Buffalo to figure out, okay, who really likes who. I think it then becomes less about where they are in the rankings, but whether a team just looks at a player and said, that's the player for us. And Sergachev, yeah. you know what? He might be that player because, boy, he's smooth back there. He is. You know, you mentioned Logan Stanley as, as well, and you have him in at number 20, and he's someone that was very much on the outside of the top 30. You know, correct me if I'm wrong on that one, Damien, the beginning of the season. And mm. as the skating started to round into form and he got more comfortable with his six foot seven frame, <laughs> uh, there's someone that's interesting because, you know, as much as this is, you know, a speedy game and a thinking man's game and room for the smaller guy, when you have a defenseman that's pushing seven feet, you really do have to pause and say to yourself, hold on. If we're drafting 15 to 20, I got to take a long look at Logan Stanley here. It was funny when we were doing the player interviews out in Vancouver. I think Logan Brown came in, and then Tim Gettinger came in, and then Logan Stanley came in. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here? What happened to, you know, <laughs> because I thought the small man was coming back in the game, and it was like a basketball yeah. team coming in one by one. And he was an engaging, uh, an engaging fellow, played a lot of uh, a lacrosse growing up, Logan Stanley did. Um, played a lot with Boris Kachuk of the uh, of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, um, and you know his his big thing was obviously for a big guy slowing down his growth enough so he could get his coordination under control and get his skating where he needed to be. He worked and is still working with Don Braid, the Toronto skating consultant, to really work on those things. And I guess the difference in the mobility is significant compared to last year. And the other piece was playing uh, a style of hockey where they demand for him to possess the puck, make plays. Don't just be the big guy putting yeah. it off the glass. And Trevor Latowski, Todd Warner's talked about this over and over, has been a guy who pushes his D-men, including Stanley, to make plays, make plays. And that mm -hmm. seems to have been altogether a combination of factors that have really got a lot of... I mean, he could go much higher um, than we haven't, we haven't raked because somebody may look at him and say, he's Tyler Myers. You know, or... Yeah. That's that's the Dano Chara because we know Logan Stanley's a pretty tough customer too. So uh, he's going to be one of those players that's really fascinating to watch. You mentioned prospects, the top prospects game in Vancouver. You have Pascal Leberge of Victoriaville now in at 27, previous not in the top 30. But I want to end the conversation by talking about 
you know, a player that the top prospects game was supposed to be built around, has seen his draft stock drop. He has most recently, finally, uh, last game, come back to the Vancouver Giants of the Western Hockey League. What do you do with Tyler Benson right now? Mm. You have him in at, at, at 28. That's down from 24. Boy, that's a, that's a, that's a tough call for an NHL GM come, uh, come draft time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough for any player – uh, or it's a real challenge for any player who's got had to has to deal with a lot of injuries in his draft season. Now that didn't stop Montreal from drafting Alex Galchenyuk or Toronto from drafting Morgan Riley. We'll see what happens with Josh Mahura this year, Red Deer, because he's going to be back soon after missing uh, most, almost all of the season until now. Um, and Benson's, in, you know, he's like that. He's been playing on a team that struggles, but he, the last. You know, scouts are the best scouts are better at looking at the body of work, and he was very good at the Ivan Halenka. Um, and so, I think if somebody liked him, then they're more likely to look past yeah. all the injuries, look past all the problems in Vancouver, look past the skating style that is a little bit off-putting, and say, "I like this guy for the following reasons." The one thing about Benson is, you know, you're getting a guy who's a leader, who's got that kind of personality. Um, and, uh, you know, the, a, a big end to the season might do a lot uh, to help him. It, Lord knows he's, he's had everything go wrong since September. It'd be nice to see that oh, he yeah. get a break. It's been a tough one for him. Damo, uh, as always, much appreciated. Read Damien's Top 30. Uh, the draft rankings for February are out at sportsnet.ca. Talk soon, Damo. All right. And that's it for another podcast. Thanks so much for stopping by the Junior Show this week. I want to thank all of our guests, including Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, lead analyst for the CHL on Sportsnet. I want to thank Mitch Marner, first-line winger for the London Knights, and also, as you just heard, Damian Cox, CHL analyst and our draft expert. You can read his work at sportsnet.ca. He was here as well with his February rankings, his top 30s. On behalf of Sam McKeer, our producer Jeff Merrick signing off. We're back in another seven days with more Junior, your CHL podcast. Have a great day. Six cents of memory runs a river near all the trouble. You've been listening to Junior, the podcast for CHL fans. Find us at sportsnet.ca. Even better, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Some will know where the ragged people go.